You're listening to Catholic Chicago Week in Review on Relevant Radio 950 AM and 930 AM. During the next hour, the Archdiocese of Chicago brings you conversation about the people, events, and issues that touch our lives. Welcome to Catholic Chicago Week in Review. Good morning. I'm Michael May of the Archdiocese of Chicago's Radio TV office. I'm glad to be with you today for Catholic Chicago Week in Review. Every Saturday morning, we bring you highlights of our local Catholic radio programs that can be heard Monday through Friday from 8 to 9 in the morning on WNDZ 750 AM. Our broadcast begins with a highlight from our Catholic Schools Today program. Father Greg Sackwitz and Dr. Jim Rigg were joined on Monday by representatives from St. Damien School in Oak Forest. They talked about the creative new ways they are engaging their students during the current pandemic. Here's a highlight. We have then Jennifer Miller, the principal, Lynn Kingsbury, the music teacher, choir director, Gail Wirth, Spanish teacher. Are you there, Joshua? Yes. Well, listen, maybe we'll begin with uh, Jennifer Miller. So tell us about this, all that's going on during the pandemic. Uh, first of all, it must have been quite an ordeal to begin class last month in light of the pandemic. Am I right, Jennifer? You, you know what? No. It, <laughs> it, I mean, geez, it I'm glad to hear that. Lot, let me, you know what? <laughs> Lots of effort, lots of engagement. Our faculty and staff were just so incredibly thankful that we were going to be able to sit face-to-face with our students. And I am not kidding you when I tell you, and, I, and um, Mrs. Kingsbury and Mrs. Work can probably really just reiterate this for me. When those st- students walked through the building and we hadn't seen them since March 13th, we, we had tears in our eyes. We were just so excited to be face-to-face and to teach them again. So, yes, lots of work, lots of effort, lots of time, lots of creativity, but you know what? They are in front of us, and we are not going to trade that in for anything. No, which means at St. Damien School, it, all is, it is all in classroom learning, correct? We are. We, we do have about 42 remote learners this year, just because for different reasons, um, they chose to stay home, but we are. We did some training this summer, and we're doing some synchronous learning. So while our teachers are teaching our students face-to-face, we are also, those students are dialing into our classrooms and hopefully not missing a beat. I think we have finally have on the phone Dr. Jim Rigg, Superintendent of Catholic Schools, the Archdiocese of Chicago. Dr. Jim Rigg, are you with us? I sure am. Uh, your co-host, Socially Distancing here, calling in via phone. Sorry about the technical issues. I regret that I wasn't with you at the beginning of the show, but uh, very happy to be here and very happy to listen to uh, all of the great things happening at St. Damien. I think it's an enormous. I spent the first couple of minutes with uh, Dr. Jim Rigg was happening. We'll get that a little bit later on. And that uh, we thought we had lost you there, Jim. And that uh, first of all, a little sidebar. Yeah, I, don't know, uh, I don't know what happened. Uh, my phone was not ringing when uh, when allegedly Michael. people were calling me. Uh, you know, it's, there's been a few few times over the last six months where. You know, cell phone bandwidth has been overloaded in the region, and people have had a hard time reaching each other. You know, it's uh, this is what happens when a lot of people are working remotely. Exactly, and also you are part of history, not only for Dr. Jim Rigg, but the uh, grouping from St. Damien. Our first time ever, we are live-streaming Catholic schools today here on WNDZ, oh. the first ever, so it's uh, a momentous day for all. Uh, first of all, a little sidebar, Jim. I'm just drawing a blank. How are the Denver Broncos doing? Are they what? Two and two right now. I'm just uh, I'm blank. They're not doing terrifically well. <laughs> yeah, they're having. <laughs> they're, 
Uh, I believe they're one and three. Yeah, one and three, and at uh, yep. two and four. Yep. But listen, I'll ask. I'll let Chicago you. Chicago Bears so far. Well, an okay year. Well, yeah, the Bears are the luckiest four-one team I ever met <laughs> in terms of. Uh, but I tell you, a win is a win is a win. I'll let you ask yep. the next couple of questions there, Doctor Jim Rigg. Take what you can get. No, um, you know it was great to be able to open up the Chicago Tribune this morning and see a wonderful story about St. Damien School and the teaching of music. And it sounded like when I joined. Uh, Jennifer, you were talking a little bit about uh, in-person learning, and uh, we're so proud of what's happened in our Catholic schools through the hard work of our teachers and principals and staff members that we've been able to welcome our students back for now about two months of in-person learning. But I'm particularly interested in the teaching of music. So we said in our, uh, our styles and health and safety protocols that we didn't want people singing because there is some uh, medical research that uh, indicates that singing can be a health risk. And I know that you've done some very creative things at St. Damien with your music classes around singing. So I don't know, I don't know if uh, Lynn Kinsbury is on or not. Uh, if not, maybe uh, yes, she Jennifer, is. you could talk to us. Great. Talk to us a little bit about your music class and how you're using American Sign Language. Go okay, for it, great. Lynn. All right, thank you. And, and thank you so much, Mr. Rigg, for having us on. Um, yeah... It was kind of shocking to learn that we couldn't sing because I am a music teacher and um, I would say 75% of my program uh, revolves around singing and putting on performances and we do a a really big spring musical and I even sing with the little guys. We have a choral concert in February. So we love to sing at St. Damien. And I was thinking, well, what am I going to do here? I want to have the students experience music. You know, we do study classical musicians, and I play classical music for them, to, for them to hear that, and I know that moves their hearts and souls. So I wanted to do that, and I couldn't, you know, I couldn't think of what I could do. And then all of a sudden I thought, well, I know, American Sign Language. We can sign the lyrics. Instead of singing them, we'll sign the lyrics, and then they can exp- still experience the music behind the lyrics. So that's what we're doing, and it has been a huge hit. The kids like it. Actually, they love it, and they're like sponges. And I'm teaching, uh, actually, PK3, three- and four-year-olds, all the way up kindergarten through eighth graders. Now, Lynn, do you have a background in uh, sign language? I do. Um, I, so my three, I have three deaf aunts, and one I'm particular, particularly close to, my Aunt Jean Hauser. Uh, she would visit. I'm from uh, Wisconsin, California, moved to Indiana, and, she would come visit us when I lived in Wisconsin and also when I lived in California. And um, when I would play the piano, she would put her hand on the piano because I was, you know, I always wondered how is she going to hear the music? And she'd say, you know, she'd signal to me saying, oh, no, no, no. She put her hand on the piano and she could feel the vibration. And that, that just kind of struck me like, wow, wow, she can at least experience the music this way. So uh, my Aunt Jean and I would sign together. And, um, you know, she ended up being the first deaf pilot in Wisconsin, and she's on the Wisconsin Aviators Hall of Fame. Um, so she's quite a remarkable woman, and she actually was a very big inspiration to me. So um, I decided to That is amazing. Some, yeah, she's, she's really quite amazing. and she's So it really so came alive. out of your experience with your aunts who were deaf, and so you learned sign language. And Now, Gail, where you are the Spanish teacher, so how do you connect with this whole music ministry at uh, St. Damien's. Well, yes, thank you very much for having us on. Um, 
in in Spanish. Actually, what we have done, uh, we have really built up our um, language program and having this being the month of Hispanic Heritage Month, um, we um, celebrated, we taught the students, they were all engaged in different activities um, during this Hispanic Heritage Month. We've uh, we taught them the salsa, we've made maracas, we've, um, we've had prayer services, we've um, taught about the different countries, music, um, just, just built up the importance of the, us paying, paying tribute to the many contributions that Hispanic Americans have made to our country. And I feel that that's important for our students to learn not just the language of Spanish, but the um, recognition um, and the contributions that have been made by, by many, many people. Joshua, are you still there with us? Yes, I am. Now, why were you chosen to be on the radio today with these wonderful leaders you have in the school? Do you have the best singing voice in the whole school? Well, uh, not quite. <laughs> Only um, one day at recess, Mrs. Kingsbury came up to me, and she asked me if I'd like to come on just to kind of talk about and explain our new ASL program. Why don't you maybe explain the ASL program then, since you were asked? What's your right. version of the program? Yeah, so I thought it was a really creative way to fix the no singing. Um, I have always been interested in learning ASL, so I really like it. And it's kind of a, it's also fun just because you get that whole full body experience with it because obviously you're moving. You you still do facial expressions even though your mask is on your face. You can still see it in their eyes. And it's kind of just a really fun, awesome way to get to be able to do music class without the singing. Well, let me ask you this. You said you've always had an interest in sign language. Where did that come from? I don't know. Uh, I, found, I feel when I was... Younger, I feel well, tell me, like... Wait, wait, wait. Are you in eighth grade? Yes, I am. When you were younger? Yeah. I've when got, I was like maybe... Joshua. Mother, uh, Joshua. Everybody's younger compared to you. Yeah, but Joshua, I, I have sweaters older than you. <laughs> Keep going, um, Joshua. Yeah, I feel like <laughs> Thanks, maybe, Dr. Rigg. I was maybe around like nine, I'm guessing. And when I first discovered sign language, I thought that it was amazing how although the deaf community... They weren't. They can. They can't talk because they're not able to hear what the other people are saying. So I found like it was amazing how they were able to come up with the ASL to be able to still communicate with each other just like normal. That's marvelous. Uh, you are a very articulate young man, Doctor Rigg. A couple of questions for the uh, faculty. Yeah, absolutely. So Joshua, it's great to hear from you, and it's nice to uh, learn about your enthusiasm for ASL. I have been amazed at all of the creative ways that our Catholic school teachers have responded during this uh, very unusual school year. Uh, back to you, uh, Lynn Kingsbury, um, you know, talking about this ASL approach to music and choir. Uh, mm-hmm. Joshua is obviously an older student. It sounds like he was interested even before this happened. Uh, how are things going with the very young children, you know, your preschool, your kinder, your first graders? Are they also catching on to American Sign Language in your class? Oh, absolutely. In fact, you know, there's not a big difference, believe it or not, from the younger kids to the older kids. Uh, these younger kids catch on so quickly 
I'm teaching them their names, popular words, family signs. Um, the younger kids we are signing with my little three- and four-year-olds, we're signing no more monkeys jumping on the bed. So we're doing <laughs> that popular uh, sign uh, song. And then um, with the kindergartners to the fourth graders, we're signing Jesus Loves Me. And then with the fifth through eighth graders, we're signing the Hail Mary. And it's just such a beautiful prayer to sign. So, you know, I would say the whole, the whole school actually is signing, and they're catching on so quickly. They want to learn. They, wanna, they tell me, oh, how do you say this word? How do you say this word? Uh, they love the family words, you know, mom and dad, sister, brother. So, um, and then we're starting to uh, talk as well, having different conversations. Right, Josh? We've been doing that in uh, yeah. some of the older kids' classes. I think it, that's just marvelous. Now, now, let me ask this, Jennifer Miller, the principal. Did somebody approach you with this whole idea going back a couple of months ago? Was this your idea? Was this Lynn's idea or Gail's idea? No, this was this was all Mrs. Kingsbury and Mrs. Work. Um, so, and actually, something quite amusing, when I, you know, received my directives um, from in the state directives and from IDPH and then directly from the Archdiocese of Chicago, I told Mrs. Kingsbury, mm, we're going to get creative this year. And I'm a big fine arts person. I was a theater teacher when I was in the classroom. So I have a passion for the arts. Um, and Lynn said, well, I no, we're, we're going to have to figure this out. I have to sing. We can't not sing. And she actually even went to my regional director and asked him directly. And I said, Lynn, we can't do this. We have to be creative. So a few days later, she comes to me, and she has. She says, can, can we teach the children to sing in sign? I, I've come up with it. And I thought, oh, my gosh, that, that's absolutely amazing and wonderful. And so it, it was all Mrs. Kingsbury. And then Mrs. Wurr, on the flip side, has always done, um, you know, a big cultural heritage fair where the children – bake their own food and they bring it in and they share their cultures during this time as well. So she says, what, what can I do? So she came up with a cooking show and the kids are submitting their recipes and you can even see cooking with Mrs. Ware on, on the internet. And then when we took Hispanic Heritage Month and she always does something big with that, we thought, well, what can we do? We're really big about working across the curriculum. So while, Ms., while Mrs. Ware was teaching Spanish dances and the background behind that, Mrs. Kingsbury was actually teaching the children the salsa and the macarena. That so is marvelous. We've just really come together and we've embraced it. I think it's like I said earlier, we are just so excited to be face-to-face with our students that we are really doing everything we can. Just And we're creative. Teachers across the country are creative. Congratulations on a job well done by the whole community at St. Damien. Next up, we are joined by Mike Kendrick, principal of St. James School in Arlington Heights. St. James is one of seven Archdiocese of Chicago schools to be named a U.S. Department of Education Blue Ribbon Award recipient. We again join Father Greg and Dr. Rigg for that conversation. We were delighted to learn recently that eight Catholic schools uh, within the Archdiocese, uh, were recognized this year by the U.S. Department of Education with Blue Ribbon Awards. And uh, only the best of the best in our of schools in our country are recognized with this prestigious award. And uh, 
to have eight within the same diocese may be unprecedented. <laughs> We're still trying to find that out. And um, we, the Archdiocese, I don't know if you know this, Father Greg, has won more Blue Ribbon Awards than any other school system, public or private, in the country. We've won over 110 uh, in our history. So that's absolutely tremendous. So Chicago ranks reflects, number one. As far as we know, yes, and it reflects, I think, the great uh, quality of education found within our schools. Uh, so I'd like to acknowledge each of the uh, Blue Ribbon Award winners, uh, St. Andrew's School, St. Clement, St. Francis Xavier in LaGrange, St. John of the Cross, St. Paul of the Cross in Park Ridge, the School of St. Mary in Lake Forest, uh, Woodlands Academy of the Sacred Heart, which is an independent high school, and St. James School in Arlington Heights. And we're delighted to have on the phone with us the principal of St. James School, Mr. Mike Kendrick. Mike, are you there? Hey, guys. Good morning. Uh, happy to be uh, on the show with you this morning. Good morning, Mike. Congratulations to the school to be an award winner. That is very prestigious. Thank you so much. Yeah, we are incredibly proud of the award. And, um, you know, it's a, uh, as I like to say to the kids on the way in, uh, it's a great day to be a bulldog. So, um, you know, we're super excited and proud and um, know that this is just the, the tip of the iceberg. But now this is your second Blue Ribbon at the school, because I think you won the first one back in 2008? That is correct. It's amazing. Now, they tell me that to even apply for the Blue Ribbon, it is so time-consuming, so detailed. I've been told that when you do this whole presentation, this document to the uh, board, if you have one comma or period yep. or apostrophe misplaced, out of place, word misspelled, the whole thing is rejected and put back into your face. Yeah, so we, we go through quite a few rounds of edits, and, um, wow. you know, uh, for me, myself, I, I'm a math guy, so grammar was never my strong suit, so I made sure to have uh, many people uh, review the document and make sure that the numbers were correct, but, you know, we, we it, the application was long and lengthy, but it was super easy to write because um, not, not easy in the fact of the length, but in the fact of there's so many great things happening at St. James. Um, you know, our academics are strong. Um, building char students' uh, character and moral uh, aptitude is strong. And uh, most importantly, the, the lively culture and, and faith development that we have and, and truly bringing students closer to Christ um, you know, it, it was easy to have plenty of content for us to cover um, in those long pages that we put together. And Mike, I know that you had a virtual celebration already with your community. So tell us a little bit about how that ceremony went and kind of how people have responded in general to the Blue Ribbon. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, obviously in our uh, day and age at the moment and in these uh, kind of strange times, um, ordinarily I would have scheduled a big pep rally in the gym and, you know, had a, a big celebration together. But obviously we need to follow our safety protocols that the Archdiocese has set out for us um, to keep our kids safe and to keep our uh, in-person learning flowing. Um, so what we did instead is we did a, a virtual pep rally. Um, and at, up to the point of the actual announcement and celebration, um, I was able to keep it relatively secret. I think, you know, probably less than 1% of the population knew the award was coming, which was great. So 
And we got all the kids on a Zoom call, and we had some, you know, some announcements and some things that we wanted to tell them about. Um, and then I turned my camera, and behind me was a, a banner of our 2008 award. Uh, and I explained to the students what it was and what it meant, and I took a big 2020 sticker and slapped it right on top of the uh, 2008 and, you know, I, w- I started going crazy in the office because I was excited, and I think most of the classrooms started um, jumping around and getting pretty excited, too. So after um, the big announcement, we played a all-school Kahoot game, which uh, if you're not familiar with Kahoot, it's essentially like a, a trivia um, game show. So I made like a trivia for the kids. They played that, and then um, as they exited the building, we had music blasting, and the kids all got these signs that said, you know, we did it or we found a way and or a uh, great day to be a bulldog and and they were uh, their parents were out there clapping for them on the way out um so it was um you know we had to get creative on the celebration aspect of it but we were really um happy and, and excited that we were able to still celebrate um even though it wasn't the uh the normal way to do things now mike when did you have this virtual pep rally how many weeks ago this was on the date that it was announced so i believe this is about 2 weeks ago or so okay. yep that's a, that's a great idea, a very creative, and uh, to slap a 2020 over the 20, 2008, and uh, the place then went crazy. Yeah, it did, um, and, and it was really fun. And, and, you know, the nice thing about the Kahoot game is that all the kids could play. You know, we have one-to-one iPad devices throughout the school, so everybody who was here was able to jump on. And even our remote learners um, who are home uh, for whatever various reasons that they're there um, could even jump on, too, and they were able to watch the Zoom and, and do the Kahoot and, and participate just like all the students in the building. Now, a question I ask every principal coming into the school year it was so different because of the pandemic, and I'm sure that you spent long hours with your faculty and staff to get the doors open back in August. So let's maybe say a little bit more about that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we um, I can't talk enough about how fantastic our teaching staff has done with not only implementing the new guidelines, but also coming up with super creative ways of educating kids um, within those restrictions, you know, and um, really being creative and and coming up with new ideas and and utilizing technology as a way to check the student's understanding um, and to continue to build that. And, you know, we have a mantra here at St. James um, that kind of embodies what our teachers were able to do um, transitioning from the summer to the school year, and that mantra is find a way. Um, and when we say find a way, what we're saying is that we will stop at nothing to do what is best for the kids um, and focus on overcoming any hurdle or any challenge that comes in our way because we know that when we invest in our kids, that's that's living out our mission and living out the mission that Christ has put in front of us of, you know, taking these young, you know, children and, and making them to young men and women who are filled with faith and, and uh, intellect that can go out and do good in the world. So our teachers have embraced that find-a-way mentality and have just been doing excellent work. Um, a lot of them we asked to be on the academics team, um, that one of the two task forces that we were put on, uh, put together over the summer. And then when they came back for professional development, we actually added more sessions. So the teachers have put in more time and more hours, but it's been paying off. And, and the product is, is the, you know, or the, the byproduct of that is students that are learning, um, academics that are continuing to flow in a safe environment, and families that are feeling satisfied that their kids are getting not only a great education, but um, the formation that they seek in Catholic schools. One of the things that you've had to adjust this year are masses, our schools masses, and uh, one of the things you've done recently are rosary masses with the kids. 
Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, absolutely. You know, we, um, uh, like you said, we have these guidelines we have in place, and, and those include the church as well. So we weren't able to fit um, our entire student body in there. So they rotate for masses, you know, usually about a quarter of the students are in the church and everybody else is streaming. Um, but we also have various groups, um, like you said, like the uh, rosary group. We have a children's rosary group that um, you know, once a week says a rosary um, after school, um, and they're able to go into the church and space themselves out. Um, and then if there's, you know, uh, something else, they've also done these rosaries via Zoom in the past as well, which is um, fantastic. Um, being able to teach kids, uh, you know, various forms of prayer is such a a lifelong tool for them to take with them. And, and when they truly understand the, the mysteries that they're praying and, and what the rosary itself, you know, represents. And, and, you know, it's just such a powerful thing. And we just see kids keep coming back and coming back. And, and one of the beautiful things is, too, is when um, somebody in our community, community is suffering or somebody is going through a hard time, um, it is like, you know, snap your fingers and we got a rosary going for those, um, those families or those people who need it most. So um, it's been, you know, a uh, there's silver linings that come out of these times right now, and, and one of them is, you know, teaching students how to pray in, in various forms and, and you know, uh, getting them to, to diversify in very their praying portfolio. Ways. In just yeah. the last minute, Mike, tell us about the Encounter Nights on Tuesday nights in October. Yeah, absolutely. So um, we are at the St. James Parish and School are kind of co-sponsoring these encounter nights where um, it's a variation or it's a, uh, a a way for students and families to get together to pray together, and it's um, a mixture of adoration and benediction, uh, praise and worship music, um, some other forms of prayer as well, and um, some silent meditation, and it's just it's a really great way for parents to connect with their kids in a different way than they may do on a regular basis and for for kids to learn you know what it means to be in the in the presence of Christ and, and how to pray, um, and, and just another wonderful opportunity that St. James, um, you know, Parish puts together. And maybe just the, in the last minute, because we're running out of time here, give us a phone number and web to learn yeah. more about St. James School in Arlington Heights, which is a fantastic school. Absolutely. The number here is 224-345-7145. That number once again? Uh, 224-345-7145. 7145. And the web? It is stjamesschoolah.org. One more time. stjamesschoolah.org. And Jim, maybe you can squeeze in one last quick question. Well, I want to know the name of the bulldog mascot. So you've <laughs> talked about this being a great day for a bulldog, but you actually have named the mascot. Is that correct? Well, so we are in the process. So nominations ah. have, were, were due on Friday. So this week we're putting together the voting polls, uh, making sure we don't have to check ballots twice, and uh, we will be naming that Bulldog. But um, there's definitely some good I've, – I've gotten a peek at the nominate, nomination names, and there's some good ones out there. And congratulations to all of our Blue Ribbon Award-winning schools. For more information about enrolling your child in a Catholic school, visit schools.artschicago.org. You're listening to Catholic Chicago Week in Review on Relevant Radio, 9.50 a.m. and 9.30 a.m. Every Saturday from 9 to 10 a.m., the Archdiocese of Chicago presents programming about the people, events, and issues that touch our lives. Thanks for letting us be part of your morning. Now again, Catholic Chicago Week in Review. 
Next up is the Voice of Charity program with co-hosts Marie Jokum and Bridget Murphy. They were joined by Jim Sullivan and Wendy Avila to discuss how statistics are used to reduce poverty and homelessness on the local, state, and national level. Wendy, we're going to start with you asking to give our listeners an overview of what the call center does. So when someone calls, what happens and how do we respond? Yeah, so the Homeless Prevention is a telephone resource for community community members. And it's really residents needing financial assistance to prevent homelessness. Uh, we are a crucial component, component of the Homeless Prevention Program Funds distribution and play a vital role in connecting callers at risk of homelessness to available short-term uh, financial assistance, such as rent, security deposit, mortgage, and um, utilities. And we respond to a high-volume call demand. Uh, we conduct an over-the-phone brief intake to determine eligibility and refer callers to one of our prevention agencies in Cook County. So our, our, prom- our program, our department is actually committed to preventing homelessness. So, um, you know, it's, it's really a conversation that we have with the callers to, to establish a, a rapport, even though it's a very small interaction. And Wendy, can you tell us a little bit about the volume increase given the pandemic and obviously the tremendous financial implications of so many businesses needing to close and people losing mm-hmm. wages and jobs? Right. So the call center averages about 70, 70 70 to 75,000 calls per year. And we really saw a huge spike in in April. It was a 6%, about a 6% increase in calls that we received as it was like the initial stage of COVID-19 pandemic. And as of as of September 30th, we have received a total of 67,680 calls, which we have sur- surpassed our our annual average, right. you know, because like I mentioned, it was it's seventy to seventy-five thousand um, per year, and just based on the data that we, you know, we we have and we're collecting, we're projecting the call volume exceed the hundred thousand calls even in this calendar year. That that's so. incredible, Wendy. And you know, mm-hmm. you you said something earlier. You said that it's a small interaction, but it's really mm-hmm. a small interaction with a huge impact, right? So right. when when you're calling and someone needs rental assistance, utility bills, how is that dispersed? What is there an average amount that we give people? How does mm-hmm. that work? So we we want to make sure that in the in the you know, 14 to 20 minute conversation that we collect as much information as possible to really advocate for that case, for mm-hmm. the caller, you know, for that specific caller. Because although, you know, people are calling for similar needs, we want to make sure that we're giving the caller the individual attention and making sure that the caller has, you know, the documents that are going to be needed to be presented to the agency. Um, so it really is... Um, we want to make sure that they have the information ready so that when they are called by the agency they were referred to, you know, it really is just, you know, ha- spending a little bit more time with them as a case manager. So we prepare for that. We prepare them for that. And ultimately, um, we want to make sure that we're referring the caller to an agency that's close to their home. Mm-hmm. So that's why we work with the entire um, Cook County. 
Yeah, Wendy, can you tell us a little bit more about those agencies? So is, is mm-hmm. some of the money Catholic Charities and then some of the mm-hmm. money comes from other partner organizations? Yeah, so all of the money actually is being dispersed by the continuum. And in order for such as Catholic Charities to distribute the money, we have to be, they have to support us in that, in, in the continuum has to support us and advocate that we are an agency who is reliable, who serves their clients, and um, and I believe in just in Chicago we have about seventeen agencies who distribute the funds. So Catholic Charities is is one of the agencies who actually we refer we refer callers to. Even though we are Catholic Charities, we're part of Catholic Charities. It's just a separate entity, the department. Jim, can you tell us how Leo started? Sure. Uh, so Leo, uh, as you mentioned earlier in the show, uh, j- is, just got started in 2012, and it really grew out of conversations that myself and my colleague Bill Evans had with Catholic Charities USA. And they were asking questions about how um, service providers in their network can do a better job of improving the outcomes of vulnerable populations. How can they do a better job of articulating the impacts of their programs? How do they learn what programs are most effective? And how do they uh, allocate scarce resources uh, to decide which which programs uh, they should be investing in? And so we started talking about the role that research could play and the opportunity to partner with researchers who would be really interested in, in addressing these kinds of questions. And they said, great, how do we get started? And, and so we thought about it for a bit and said, let's, let's, bring, let's do a, have a convening and bring together some innovative social service providers from across the Catholic Charities Network to have a conversation between researchers and, and these uh, leaders and Kathy Donahue from Catholic Charities uh, uh, US, or Catholic Charities Chicago was was one of the ones that attended that that convening. And and from that gathering, we learned uh, what were the specific questions that that um, nonprofit social service providers were asking. And uh, we quickly realized that the re- the researchers and these uh, providers um, had a shared interest in addressing these kinds of questions. That there was a real opportunity here to match researchers with providers to address important questions. And the idea was, let's generate the evidence that allows the effective programs to scale uh, all across the country so we can improve the lives of vulnerable populations. And from that, that initial gathering, we launched five projects. Two of them were with Catholic Charities Chicago. And, uh, you know, fast forward eight years, and, and we're, we're now uh, upwards of 75 projects. Which is is just incredible. And I think, you know, when we hear about the work that Leo is doing um, with Catholic Charities in Chicago, but of course with other places as well, I think as a as someone who used to work on the front lines, it's such like a, a breath of fresh air because you know what you're doing is is helping your individual client. Um, you want that story to be able to be told better. And also you want to make sure that's uh, system-wide, that it's as effective as it could be. So I know we have been very grateful for the research that's come out of some of our partnerships. So, And as you mentioned, you've worked with us on a few things, but we wanted to focus a little bit on the Homelessness Prevention Call Center research from a few years back. And what was what were the results of, of those studies? Yeah, so the, this is one of our earliest studies and, and really one of our, our most successful. Um, the the 
you know, Wendy described the, the way the Homelessness Prevention Call Center works, that people call when they're on the brink of homelessness. And um, w- one of the, the, the sad parts of, of this process is that there isn't always money available, mm-hmm. that sometimes callers are seeking assistance and they have to be told that there, there isn't uh, funding available. And um, as unfortunate as that is, um, that does create an opportunity to learn about the effectiveness of the program. So what we ended up doing in this study is, is really quite simple, um, but yet had never been done before. And so uh, in conversations with uh, leadership at the Homelessness Prevention Call Center, um, we learned about the fact that there was excess demand, that they were turning people away. And, um, and we, were, we also learned that um, the who gets funding and who doesn't was essentially random, that, that it wasn't because of one particular characteristic, the fact that their, their uh, rental need, for example, was greater or not. It really was just that they happened to call at the right time when funding was available. Yeah. And so what we did was look at the people who call on a day when funds are available and what outcomes do they have and compare it to the outcomes to those who call on a day when funding's not available. And, uh, and the first thing we did was link the call center data to data on who, who checks into a homeless shelter mm. to see what is the impact on homelessness. I mean, one of the main goals of this kind of assistance is to prevent homelessness. And so we asked the simple question, does it prevent homelessness? And when we did that, we found that those that call when funding's available, they were 76% less likely to show up in the homeless shelter intakes data than those who called when funding uh, was not available. Um, And, you know, it's not one of these situations where it just punts the problem down the road. We can follow uh, these people up to two years later, and we see that the, the difference in the likelihood of being homeless persists. So it really was the first evidence um, a rigorous evidence presented on the impact of this kind of emergency financial assistance for those who are on the brink of, of becoming homeless. You know, that's extraordinary, Jim, and, and it shows, and I think we've tried to share this with, with partners, and I know Leo has shared it with other cities and municipalities and government officials working to address homelessness, that, you know, those prevention dollars, prevention programs, you know, almost always wind up saving more money than having someone enter the system, whether it's health care, whether it's housing. Um, is that a fair statement? It is. And, you know, this has been a real cha- challenge for prevention, right? Because, because the hard part about prevention is, is how do you target it to the right people, the people who are actually would become homeless if they don't get the funds? Um, because if you don't target it correctly, it doesn't get, it, or, well, it doesn't, it doesn't uh, move the needle enough to justify the investment. And there's some people who would argue you should just wait until they become homeless. But it turns out that doing that is really expensive, and we, we talk a lot about that in the study. Um, and one of the reasons why um, it is particularly cost-effective is that, okay, so we showed first that it reduces homelessness. Um, the next phase of the study was then we linked it to uh, data on arrests from the Chicago Police Department. And what we found was that those who had access to the funding were much less likely to be arrested for a violent crime than those who did not have access to the funding. And we know that homelessness is, you know, has a strong association with um, involvement in the criminal justice system. And so not only are you reducing homelessness, but you're also reducing other costs like uh, costs associated with incarceration and other costs of the criminal justice system. 
And, um, and so re- by reducing and saving and those costs, uh, as well as costs in, uh, in terms of uh, involvement in, in uh, go- other government assistance programs, um, it really can be shown that this kind of prevention effort can be cost effective. Our thanks to Jim and Wendy for all their hard work with those in need. For more information on how you can help, visit catholiccharities.net. And that entire conversation was streamed with video on our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash catholicchicago. Our next highlight comes from the Lifelong Journey program. Host Clarissa Alhantera and her guests sat down to talk about ways that parents can take care of themselves and their families during the pandemic. Here's a highlight. With me on air and from a remote COVID-safe location is Yesenia Maldonado. Good morning, Yesenia. Good morning, Clarissa. How are you this uh, beautiful fall Chicago morning? You know what? I am blessed. It is a delight to just talk to you and to your listeners. So thank you for having me. Awesome. Well, with us this morning is Yesenia Maldonado. She works in the office for... Catholic schools here in the Archdiocese of Chicago. And the reason we asked her to come on and be on our program this morning is that in this time of COVID and during the pandemic, uh, one of the things and concerns that we have, especially in the Office of Lifelong Formation, is for our parents and our families. And um, trying to ensure that they're trying to not only keep physically safe, but emotionally and mentally safe. And so, Yusenia, can you introduce yourself to our audience and tell us a little, a little bit about you and the role you have uh, within the Office for Catholic Schools? Sure. Um, so, again, my name is Yesenia Maldonado, and I have been with the Archdiocese in the Office of Catholic Schools for the last year, so I got to enjoy last school year. Um, within my role, and my role is really to help with um, the social and emotional development of our children in our classrooms, as well as our teachers and our school staff and leadership, and to really talk about how we're taking care of the whole child and really thinking of not only the academic things that we need to learn about um, our social and emotional wellness in order to kind of have us be present and learn, but also thinking about how we um, provide those environments that are welcoming and loving and um, based on our Christian values to be able to support all aspects of our children when they come into our classrooms. And prior to joining the Archdiocese, I um, am a product of the Catholic school system, so I um, went to Catholic school. My children have been through Catholic school and education, and so that is what kind of really called me to do this work within this setting. I am a social worker by trade, and so I've been a therapist for families and support of people who've experienced a range of trauma, and and doing social-emotional learning fits really well with um, the work I've done um, throughout my year professionally. That's fantastic. I imagine, especially during this time, um, with schools kind of transitioning to remote learning in the spring and then slowly starting to open up in the fall, I imagine this is just such a big shift for parents just to think about how they are navigating kind of the real the real world in the context of COVID. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I think it's really brought to the forefront the importance of taking care of ourselves in our emotional and physical wellness and really thinking about our mental health as our, as the same way we think about our physical health and knowing that we all have mental health and that we all have to work at kind of being able to 
um, you know, exercise that mental health and what that looks like and how that's crucial in times that feel uncertain and um, where we are experiencing um, different changes and really don't know what the future holds, being able to hold on to um, those things that we can control and being able to kind of create those moments where we are together and that we're able to kind of take care and watch out for one another, um, especially during times of uncertainty um, and in times of upheaval and know, civil unrest and everything else that is going on in our communities, um, having that time um, becomes so instrumental and so important that you recognize that if we don't take care of that part of our health, um, that it's really difficult to be able to learn. It's really difficult to, to comprehend and bring in new information. So we need to take care of that before we can kind of do the other things that are important. And I'm I'm curious to know, are you finding, especially as school is, I mean, it's it's been open for a few weeks now, mm-hmm. and uh, are school principals and school teachers coming to you with specific needs for um, families in their classroom or mm-hmm. looking for uh, resources? Yeah, so that's the beauty of my role. I've, I'm in a role where I am there to be a resource to school. So I've experienced that throughout my time. I will say that I, I would be remiss if I did not say our teachers and our school leadership and our this are incredible. They are the unsung heroes of this situation. They are doing an incredible job, and they have been um, just the beacons of light for everything that is going on and going well within our schools. And so they do call for support, as we all should. Um, you know, to support one another during these times because they can be scary, but they have been extremely resilient. We've been, um, we've put together um, some great resources in terms of making sure that schools are connected to their local mental health and um, resources in their community um, for our schools who have school counselors. We've been able to kind of connect with them and make sure that they have what they need. But absolutely, um, many schools have reached out, and we've made sure that we've made available professional development opportunities that are not only about self-care because we know as adults in the space, if we are taking care of ourselves, we're better to attend to the needs of our young people in those spaces as well. So we've put together a variety of um, professional development opportunities for our teachers, and through that, um, many have stepped up and um, asked for additional information. And um, and so I have um, kind of been sought out on individual cases, but also definitely as a whole, trying to make sure that we are giving as much support and resources that we can as the Office of Catholic Schools. One of the pieces you said earlier um, in regards to families kind of caring for themselves was that they're, they're not able to care for others. And what... What would you say is important for parents, especially right now, if they're juggling, mm-hmm. you know, full-time work and full-time family responsibilities and kind of, you know, depending on if their kids are virtual, because I know some families mm-hmm. have chosen that option or, I guess, remote mm-hmm. versus, you know, in person. And how does that, how can that impact a parent's, you know, mental health in order to kind of navigate the world in front of them? Yeah, I have to say I've been able and I've had the honor of kind of connecting with many families through coffee talks that schools have and different families that have reached out to um, the Arch for support and kind of being able to provide assistance in that way. And I will say that is instrumental. The same piece kind of applies in terms of um, what I've said about school staff and adults and um, have access to children, that taking care of ourselves is so important. And it's sometimes one of those things that we don't do. It's one of the things that on the to-do list, we oftentimes put ourselves last, 
and recognizing that as we take care of our emotional, physical, and mental health needs, um, that we are able to be more present for our children and for our families. It's one of those pieces that we oftentimes forget, but it's so, so important that we don't think about self-care as selfish or self-indulgent, but that we truly recognize it, that taking care of ourselves is actually in service of others. Because when we are at our best, um, we are able to be our best for others. And I think one of those things that I oftentimes share with families is, you know, those, you know, are you taking care of your physical needs? Have you eaten today? Sometimes, you know, I speak to families and they haven't, you know, they've been racing all day. And, mm-hmm. you know, my, one of my first questions is like, have you eaten today? Like, have you nourished your body? Um, today, have you been able to give yourself those little breaks? Um, one of the practices that I do that I oftentimes share with our families is I do the uh, three-minute retreats that um, Loyola Press has in the mornings. Um, I do them in the mornings, but I know that if you start your day off, um, you know, in a way that is connected to yourself or to your higher power, that that helps kind of carry throughout the day. So I talk to them about those basic needs of, like, how are you feeling yourself um, physically, but also how are you feeding your spirit? Because um, that is definitely helpful in terms of how we can there then kind of handle all those moments of our chaotic day um, that can occur. Here's a reminder that you can listen to all our programs live or at your convenience by going to radiotv.archchicago.org. That's radiotv.archchicago.org. And our radio programs are available on all your favorite podcast platforms including Spotify, Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and Anchor. So please subscribe today. Our final segment today is from our Mission Matters program, hosted by Megan Mio. This month, two of her fellow missionaries joined her to talk about living life on mission. Here's a highlight. Now today we have with us, by phone, two people who have heeded the call to mission. Two people I've actually had on our radio show before. I've asked them back uh, to help us reflect. Sister Mary Paul Asuegu is a daughter of Divine Love and the executive director of the Daughters of Divine Love Development Ministry, which is based in Compton, Illinois. She and some of her sisters minister throughout the Archdiocese of Chicago, and other sisters also serve in a variety of areas in Africa, the Americas, and Europe. We also have with us Father Stan Chu Elo, research professor of world Christianity in the Catholic Studies Department at DePaul University in Chicago, and he is a resident at St. Celestine Parish a Church in Elmwood Park. He is a priest of Algu Diocese in Enugu State, Nigeria, but he has lived and served in many contexts since then. So that, after that long introduction, good morning, Sister Mary Paul mm-hmm. and Father Stan, and thank you for joining us. Good morning, Megan. I know you can't see each other, so <laughs> I'm going to try to introduce you, you know, to, to respond to questions as we go so that we don't have too much talking over each other. But thank you again. So um, so as I mentioned, you've already been on our show, but you're both, you know, experienced in the practice of mission, the theology, the spirituality of mission. So I wanted us to talk and reflect more specifically today about the mission we are all called to at this time. We are in the midst of a global pandemic, ongoing, and a struggling world economy. Meanwhile, here in the U.S., we are also approaching a national election and suffering with deep-seated social issues such as racism. Our faith engages us in all of these realities. So now, you know, I'd like to ask you both to help me unpack this statement about our reality. 
to start with, we are in the midst of a global pandemic, and we all know that very well. But uh, Sister Mary Paul, your sisters are ministering in a variety of settings, I mentioned, in, in different parts of the world. How has the pandemic impacted the communities with whom they minister? Thank you, Megan. Um, as you mentioned, our sisters are ministering in uh, 18 countries, mm-hmm. in Africa, Europe, and Americas. And the pandemic has really impacted them in many ways, and those with those whom they work. You know, the, the, the COVID is uh, no respecter of persons and has shown the vulnerability of all human persons. Mm-hmm. But there has regards my sisters. Before the pandemic, we could get funds for them, for school lunch, for wells, for clinics, mm-hmm. for building small houses like in Haiti, in the in Cuba, in Jamaica, in some places in Africa, we get scholarships and basic needs for people and even buy generators for them and get a, a scholarship. Mm-hmm. And many other things we do. And really, the people they minister to benefit and they're happy. Mm-hmm. And they are always joyful and talk about the Lord and praise God. Mm-hmm. For these days, the sisters are finding things very difficult. Depending on the globe, anyway, because those of them who are ministering in the United States are not finding it as difficult as those in Haiti or Cuba or Jamaica. Hmm. Take, for example, the sisters in Cuba. The sisters in Cuba? The sisters in Cuba have been speaking with them, yeah. and things are getting worse there. Mm-hmm. The sisters are in bad shape. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they stay in line for this to get whatever the government is distributing. And by the time it reaches them, the thing is gone. The food is gone. Mm-hmm. And you have to come back the other day. You see lines. Mm-hmm. Sister Angela, the other day, said it pains her most when she has nothing to give to the poor elderly women and children they minister to. Mm-hmm. When they come knocking at their door, yeah. how much more those who are indoors and the short ins that they go to visit and minister to. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The people can no longer buy anything. The, the, what they call the CUC value is very poor. To buy anything meaningful now, you have to go to certain stores. And to go to that certain store to get anything, you have to have U.S. dollars. Ooh, interesting. You can't buy anything. And so they are now looking for dollars to even buy basic things which you cannot find in, any, in most stores, but in specific stores. Yeah. So you're, you're talking about, you know, the, the, the basic needs of people that, that your sisters have been, have been providing for, have been uh, working with the communities to try to obtain uh, through the congregation, through the church, but also through the governments. And they're just not there like they were uh, before, that this distribution is... is not working right now, um, and and I think that if I'm understanding correctly, and just my knowledge of the daughters of divine love, that you know a lot of these these ministries are just you're feeding people, you're providing education, you're you mentioned scholarships, you know, things that um, you know people need to live um, are, are harder and harder to come by. Yeah, the basic needs of people that you were providing before you helped the sisters to be doing all this for them. But now, 
I'm talking about the, the, these countries where the people are poor. Mm-hmm. Now they cannot even find it. Yeah. And I'm giving an example of Cuba, for example, yeah. where the sisters are finding it difficult to help the people. Mm-hmm. I especially, Sister Angela said, when it pains her most, when the people come knocking at their door, the right. elderly, the children, right. and they have nothing to give them. Right. Yeah, it must so break it their hearts. How much more going? Those people, they have to visit. Mm-hmm. They can't even visit them because they have nothing. Mm-hmm. Anything you buy now in Cuba that is, uh, is worthwhile, you have to have American dollars. Mm-hmm. They don't give it to you there, so they expect you to send, to, they expect that people will get it from outside and be able to buy something. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I'm looking for help to help the sisters over there. And I, I must tell you, America is blessed. I sometimes they don't realize because here mm-hmm. the poverty here. I go and help in the food pantry over mm-hmm. in Lake County, and mm-hmm. some of us, my sisters, do the same. Mm-hmm. I see the food they are giving, mm-hmm. the families, the food they get, and the food they. they and sometimes they have to make choices. Yeah. Some of these countries where the daughters of divine love minister find it hard to get one square meal, or even right. something to eat. Enough for one day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but uh, sometimes when I see the leftovers here, when I go to minister in these uh, pantries, mm-hmm. I feel like <laughs> the only way to carry these things I take to all these countries where things are really bad, like Chad, like Mali, yeah. like some places in, Ga- in Gabon, some places in Kenya, and some places in Nigeria where the sisters are. Wow, yeah. So it has not been easy. Wow. Well, the mission from, the, from me and my sisters since the Sunday, we all remember as having one mission with the whole church connected. Mm-hmm. All of us, Gentile, black, white, purple, whatever, tall, or short, that all are working for the kingdom of God. Yeah. The mission of Christ, which we are all following, go to the whole world, minister. It means that my sisters, even those from different parts of the country, of the, uh, who are ministering in different parts of the country, who are called by Christ to follow him and to serve him in the religious life as spouses are a part of this great mission of Christ. Mm. And some of us, too, we are sent all the way from Nigeria to American region, which comprises of Cuba, Jamaica, Haiti, Suriname, and United States, Mm -hmm. are part and parcel of the church, carrying out the mandate of Christ to go to the whole world and proclaim the good news. Mm-hmm. So for these realities, I know that the present realities you are talking about are the pandemic, the economic, the election, and social justice. Mm-hmm. As far as the pandemic, our understanding of global mission has really manifested itself mm-hmm. during this pandemic. Yeah. People have shown care and love to each other, Think of all our first-line responders. Think of those serving food in food pantries. We close today's program with an important reminder that you can attend Mass Online by visiting our website, archchicago.org. That's archchicago.org. The Masses are also available on Facebook and our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash catholicchicago. Our thanks to ABC7 for televising our English Sunday Mass at 9.30 in the morning, to Univision for televising our Spanish-language Mass at 10 a.m., and Pole Vision for televising our Polish language mass Sunday at 9 a.m. and 3 p.m. Thank you for listening to us every Saturday morning on Relevant Radio 950 and 930 a.m. 
I'm Michael May for Catholic Chicago Week in Review. Have a great weekend. Join us every Saturday morning for Catholic Chicago Week in Review. You can stream our programs live or listen to past programs by visiting our website, archchicago.org, and clicking on Radio TV. And please connect with Catholic Chicago on social media.